Well, we're continuing in our series today called Storytime. Today's part five, and we're calling this The Hero's Mistake. So we look at some of these bigger sort of Sunday school stories uh, from perhaps from your past, and we want to see if we can pull some lessons from these things. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, you might want one, and a couple of volunteers are going to make them available to you. Uh, Curtis Brown is up on that side. Curtis, just come down this middle aisle if you would, okay? And uh, Stuart will take care of this on this side. Just give them away if they'll get you a Bible. Well, nobody's perfect, they say. Everybody makes mistakes. Uh, one of my sort of guilty pleasures in life, I don't mind admitting this, is um, I love watching fail videos on YouTube. I, I just love watching somebody goof up and hurt themselves. I, I don't know what that is, but I, I kind of take some pleasure in knowing that I'm not the only one that has disastrous moments in my life. Um, and while we know that everybody makes mistakes, it seems like when someone's close to us, or if we really esteem somebody, a celebrity, or you know, an athlete that we really look up to, maybe our parents or our kids or our siblings, we somehow have a little bit of a higher expectation that they should be just more perfect than perhaps even we ourselves. Uh, we surely expect our spiritual leaders pastors and so on to set a good example i've joked about my less than perfect driving before but there's a reason i do not have a fish sticker on the back of my van i don't think i could live up to the traffic expectations that come with that kind of declaration i I actually this week i actually had to roll my window down and apologize to somebody um, because i kind of cut them off but probably not the first and probably won't be the last time um so everyone makes mistakes. One of the realities of becoming an adult, for example, is discovering that your parents aren't like the superheroes that you thought they were when you were growing up. I don't know if you remember that moment when you realized, wait, they're, they're human? I mean, it's, it's kind of like discovering that Santa Claus doesn't live at the North Pole year-round. Um, right? He's in Florida part of the year. I mean, that was, that's a shock. We, we have this idea that our, that our parents are somehow above. They're, they're just better. And then all of a sudden we realize they have some flaws and pretty deep failures. Sometimes terrible, terrible things. And that's not to excuse their sin, but it does come as a shock to discover they're not superheroes. The Bible provides many of those eye-opening moments for us. Nearly every Bible hero failed by some major flaw or episode of doubt or obvious sin in their life or lapse in judgment. You know, and you may either find it hard to accept their, you know, humanity or it might just be a great relief for you to know that these were all normal, ordinary, everyday human flesh and blood people in this book, including a great man named Abraham. Now, Abraham is the, is the great father of the Jewish nation. You could say he's, he's actually the father of, of all who put their faith in God. He's, he's the father of faith. Uh, he's really, and it's, I always put it this way, he's the big dog of the book of Genesis. He, he is the one around whom um, many other things uh, revolve. He, um, we'll put it this way, God introduces himself many times as the God of Abraham, and then Abraham's son and grandson Isaac and Jacob. So we're going to look at Abraham and Abraham's life, and we're going to look at some a, a really big mistake that Abraham 
made. But to get started, we're going we're gonna to read of selected passages in Genesis, starting at Genesis chapter 12. If you've got a Bible with you, I'd like you to find Genesis 12. If you're in the red church Bible, that's page 9. And we're going to get an overview of Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and their biggest failure. And I just want to say a comment about names. As we start, you're going to see their names are Abram, A-B-R-A-M, and Sarai, S-A-R-A-I. And then as the story progresses, they become Abraham and Sarah. And that is a change that God performed. God changed their names, gave them a new name, as happens sometimes in Scripture. Abraham from from exalted father to father of many, and Sarah from uh, princess or, or even a kind of sense of commanding princess to gracious princess or princess of grace. So I'd like you to find Genesis 12. I know we've been on our feet a lot this morning, but if you've got, uh, if you've got it in you, I'd like you to stand for the reading of God's word, starting at Genesis 12. Genesis 12:1. The Lord said to Abraham, Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Let me just give you just the backstory real quick. They'd actually already moved from a place called Ur that would be deep in Babylon, had moved across and had settled in a place um, that they named Haran after Abram's uncle. And then after that, then he's called to leave his family a second time and move further to where God will lead him. Um, so um, verse uh, 5, he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot and all his wealth, his livestock and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. And when they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Moreh. And at that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Um, uh, Canaanites were pagan idol worshippers, uh, performed all kinds of crazy things. Verse seven. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp on the hill country with Bethel to the west and I to the east. And there he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages through the Negev. So he's moving southward in kind of the area that we would think of as Israel today. He's moving southward. Eventually, there's a famine and they they move all the way into Egypt. And and uh, some things happen while they're in Egypt, but they eventually kind of find their way back. Abram and Lot are both prospering. They're doing very, very well. And they realize they, the land where they're living can't support all their flocks. And uh, they don't have enough wells and water. So they decide to divide. Lot takes what's today called the, the, um, the Jordan Valley, a very beautiful, fertile area. But it's where the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are located. Abram moves southward into what would be, we'd call the Judean hillside, not too far from Jerusalem, not too far from the Dead Sea, kind of that um, further south area. Not as, you know, wonderful or uh, fertile an area, but still um, fine for grazing and so on. Uh, so that's Abraham and Lot. There's a problem. Lot, actually, the city gets conquered. Lot gets carted off, captured in war. Abraham gets a, a, a little 
army together and they rescue his nephew. Then we, we encounter a priest named Melchizedek. Abraham um, gives a tithe, so that's where we're introduced to the concept of the tithe. And then we come to verse uh, chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. And you've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. And the Lord said to him, verse 4, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you have. I don't know if any of you have ever been out to where there's a dark sky and just unbelievable, uncountable number of stars. But he's got no kids of his own. And Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. And the Lord said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. Then God confirms the covenant with him. And then let's move on to chapter 16. And we get a big shift. Here's the mistake. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened ten years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to mistreat, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now she's pregnant. Now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. And Abram replied, Look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. And Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. One more short passage. Move to chapter 17, because um, the rest of 16 tells us about um, Hagar's plight and the birth of her son, Ishmael. And then finally, chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. And at this, Abram fell down, face down on the ground. And God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Let's take a seat together. What a story. Promise after promise after promise, but still a great mistake. Now, Abram's a remarkable fellow. You've got to keep in mind that this is long before Moses. This is long before the children of Israel in, as slaves in Egypt. This is long before the Ten Commandments have been given with the law and the rules and the regulations and all the miracles that are associated with all of that. Abraham somehow knew that he had been called by God to leave his family, settle in a distant place, and he believed God's promise to provide him with an uncountable number of descendants. Abraham had faith. 
things, as you saw, weren't going very quickly. They weren't going very well. And they certainly weren't making sense. After all, he had a promise and the promise wasn't coming through. And in part, I believe God was creating a scenario by which the birth of Abraham's son, which his name would be Isaac, would be so obviously miraculous that it would prove God's covenant promise. There would be no way anybody could say, ah, well, he was going to have a kid anyway. That wasn't a promise of God. It would be obviously a miracle. And Abraham and Sarah, they panicked. And they came up with a way for Abraham to have a son, just as God promised. They wanted to make something happen, and they did. And herein lay their mistake. If you're following in your outline today in your program, you could put it this way, that Abraham's mistake was seeking a godly outcome by ungodly means. Seeking a godly outcome by ungodly means. Trying to do the right thing, but in the wrong way. Now, obviously, no one here has done exactly what Abraham and and Sarah did, right? But I think we've all been guilty of this in other ways. Those, Those shortcut you know, Hagar moments. Uh, you, you know, if you've ever tried a, you know, like a get-rich-quick, surefire investment. Boy, Becky and I, we just about lost. We'd, we'd sold a house, and our, our house up, preparing to move to California, and, and had done quite well with equity. And someone was very reliable guy was trying to talk us into an investment. And we, we almost did the money, just hadn't quite been freed up yet. Uh, turns out it was a big old Ponzi scheme. And we knew many good, godly people who lost fortunes. We're like, thank you, Lord. But it was tempting. It was tempting to to go that route. Maybe you've done something like that. Maybe you dated someone who was wrong for you, but you wanted someone badly enough that you settled. Not for Mr. Right, but for Mr. Right now. And um, if that's your spouse, you do not elbow him uh, at this moment. Uh, Maybe uh, your loneliness uh, night after night has you staring at your computer screen late, late into the wee hours um, on websites that are just destroying your soul. All these shortcuts that we're tempted to take. Maybe it's about money. Maybe you don't tithe because you just don't quite believe God's going to provide for you. Or maybe you took on more debt because you panicked about something and now you're stuck with it. Or maybe you're maybe you're helicoptering over your, your children, even adult children, because, well, you just haven't been able to entrust them to God, even though you dedicated them to the Lord, but you expect them to, to stay close by and, oh, you're just hoping and praying God won't lead them out of the state of California. Whatever it is, our mistakes come in all forms. Things we said or we did or, or thought or that we now regret and we can't undo. Money shortcuts, uh, struggles with alcohol or prescription pills or pornography. or Maybe you keep losing your temper. And it's getting older. It's even getting violent. List goes on. And you know what? So do the complications that are associated with all those things. And the problem is we live in either condemnation. Oh, I'm such a terrible person. Or we live in denial. I'm not doing anything wrong. Or both. Or maybe guilt. Or maybe some shame. It's all about mistakes that we make to seek good outcomes, but by ungodly means. And thankfully, God forgives and he wants to get us Back on track. See, the good news for Abraham is that God did not revoke. God did not pull back his covenant with Abraham, even though Abraham had blown it. Isn't that amazing? You would, you would kind of think God would say, oh, Abraham, 
I was going to do this, but, you know, I'm just going to have to find someone else more reliable. You, you wouldn't, we wouldn't be that surprised if that had happened, but that's not what God did. And God has not turned his back on you either. So let me ask three questions and then we're going to look at, you know, how do we recover from mistakes? So the first of three questions is this. Why do we make these mistakes? Why do we make these sort of Hagar moments? Because I, I don't know about you, but I feel like I can relate to Abram in Sarai. God made this promise. It's already miraculous at 75 years of age, but 10 years on, nothing's happening. And it seemed it was up to them to get it done. You may remember last week when we talked about Noah, one of the points we made is that the faith swings a hammer. And that comes with a bit of a warning. And maybe they felt like, well, we just need to, to make, this, make this go. But there's a warning attached to that. Their mistake was really a result of things like doubt or impatience. Maybe we could say they were in fear. Fearful that God would not come through or, or you know, they, maybe they just misheard God or maybe they misunderstood Him. The bottom line, it was just taking too long. And they, they, they just lost their faith. I don't know if you've ever felt that. You know, there were um, a couple times in, in ministry as a family where we, we felt like we had perhaps an opportunity to do something new or different. And it, uh, it just didn't seem quite doable it seemed like too impossible a task and too impossible a call and we we found ourselves pulling back and doing something that was kind of made more sense and i'm not sure that we we really um i think we missed some of what god had had asked us to do in those times they they abraham and sarah had this problem and 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 rather than even accepting the disappointment because that's part of working through mistakes like oh part of Embracing God's promises like, oh, this is taking a long time. We're going to have to live with this disappointment in our lives. Instead, they use natural means to, you know, make something happen. So that's why we make mistakes. I think it's doubt, it's impatience, it's fear. But when do we make these Hagar-type mistakes? I, I think it's when God is slow, or we think God is being slow, or when the solution seems really obvious and really easy. Right, Sarai looked at Hagar and figured, well, this should work. She's right here. She could probably have a kid. This will be no problem. And there was a precedent in that family too. Abraham and Sarah, I don't know if you know this, but they were half-siblings. Same dad, different moms. So in Abraham's family and Abraham's um, you know, uncles and his, his own siblings, they all had you know, multiple you know, wives and concubines and, and so on. So there was plenty of precedent for this in their family. Plenty of like, well, this is kind of normal in our family. And so it was the easy and, and obvious move. And I think anytime we have resources to fix a problem, we'll be tempted to take care of it ourselves instead of asking God. Um, boy, I think we even sometimes do that for our own Maybe our own kids, our, our son or daughter is going through something and we think, well, I could, just, I could just write a check and fix this. And I think God might just say, just wait, I have a lesson for them to learn in this time. Maybe in your own life, maybe you borrowed money too quickly instead of stopping and 
making a plan. Or maybe you complain to your sister and your mom and your cousin about your husband rather than taking it to the Lord and getting some good help. Or here's one. And boy, please, please hear me carefully on this. I wonder sometimes if we don't see more sort of miraculous healings around us because it's just too easy to rely on great medical care. And I love great medical care. I'm the first one to admit, if I've got a headache, I'm far more likely to grab the bottle of Advil than to ask the Lord to heal me. But when our resources are easy at hand, that's what we tend to turn to instead of trusting the Lord. And I think we settle for less than what God would have to offer us. It introduces needless complications in life. We could learn to wait. So that's why and when we make mistakes, but where do we make these mistakes? I think where we make these mistakes is, is uh, any time we're in a place that's precious to us, particularly at home and with our family, or maybe in our spiritual life. You know, anytime we use religious activity to please God instead of faith, we're making a Hagar maneuver. Well, I'll just, I'll just read my Bible a little bit more. I'll just, you know, I'll just do something. I'll just go to church more. I'll do something you know, religious, and that'll, that'll fix my, my life. I'm not going to dig into this today, but you might want to make a note on your side, on the margin of your notes there, Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 and following. The Apostle Paul compared Hagar to the law of Jewish religion and compared Sagar, um, Sarah to the covenant of grace through faith. So Hagar represents the law, the slave woman, and Sarah represents Grace through faith. Anytime we expect our good deeds or our religious activities to somehow attain God's favor or God's promise of righteousness, we're guilty again of a Hagar solution. So yes, Abraham failed. He blew it. And we do too. But can we recover? That's the question. Well, let me suggest three ways we can recover from mistakes. There are three ways we can recover from mistakes. First is just admit Admit the mistake and commit it to the Lord. Admit and commit. Um, here's the thing for Abram. Sarah was, uh, Hagar, Hagar was definitely pregnant. Kind of an unavoidable situation. Ishmael was on his way. And this proved to be a problem in their own marriage. And uh, was going to be a difficulty um, Sarah didn't handle it well. Abraham didn't do much better. But here's the thing. Abraham did not deny that Ishmael was his own son. He owned the heir. He, um, uh, Genesis um, 16, um, 15 and 16. Uh, I don't have this on the screen for you, but um, chapter 16 says, So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Uh, It's really important when a father names the son. It's really a sense of adoption or welcoming into the family. And at the end of Abram's life, even though it says that his his inheritance went to Isaac, we're told, the scripture tells us that Abram made sure to supply for his other children. Because he'd had other children. After Sarah died, he actually remarried and, and had more children. Ishmael was not excluded 
from the family he was he was taken in. Uh, and, and really, which is just amazing because, um, well, let's carry on. Abraham could not hide his failure, but nor did he run from it. He didn't deny it. He, he, he had to admit it. And I would say if you've blown it, if you've failed in some way, you've got to admit to those you've offended and commit it to the Lord. And it might be embarrassing or costly to admit it, um, but find a way to tell the people you've offended and, and be sensitive about that. You might need to have someone else with you when you do that. But whether it's your spouse or your children or your boss, you need to tell them and, uh, and then trust the Lord with the outcome. So that's to admit the mistake. Second is to accept the consequences. If you read into chapter 17, it's just one of the most important chapters in Genesis because it's where God renames Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah. And he confirms, reconfirms again the covenant by um, introducing the covenant act of um, the covenant act of circumcision that was going to be to be assigned from then on. Um, Genesis uh, 17 says that both Abram and Ishmael, right? So now you have the father and son. They're circumcised on the same day. There's just really Ishmael. Is, I'm just trying to emphasize he's really a fully a part of the family and not just a slave in the household, because you would expect the child of a slave born into the household would still be a slave. That's really important to understand. But Ishmael was not considered a slave. He was considered a son. He was considered part of the family. Abram had accepted the consequences of his mistake by taking Ishmael fully into his family. And some of the consequences of our own mistakes are, might be really serious. There might be some difficult effects from our sin. I've, I have friends who've had to go to prison or through God, they've gone through a divorce or bankruptcy, all because of Hagar-type mistakes. But as they admitted they're part of the problem, they've you know, found God to be trustworthy and faithful and loving and kind, and you know, even in those low times in the life. Maybe yourself, you're digging out of debt, or you're having to build, re, rebuild some trust in your marriage, or you've got to stay away from a computer or out of certain parts of town to avoid temptation. Maybe you need to get yourself into a 12-step group. Whatever it is that's going to help you accept your consequences and move on is worth doing. Which leads to the third and last step about recovering from mistakes is to avoid repeating it. Now, you might say, well, that's easier said than done. I get that. But like Abraham, we've got to learn from it, make some changes and move on. You're probably going to need some outside help to do that. Uh, you know, I've learned that few people recover from uh, destructive habits without the help of others. Few people recover from destructive habits without getting some help from others. Whether it's alcohol or gambling or drugs or pornography or food or, or romance novels, whatever it is, you're probably going to need some people to help. Um, that's why AA is such an awesome ministry, Alcoholics Anonymous, because you've got people getting honest in, about their problems and getting solutions to what got them there in the first place. It's great. Or when a marriage is in trouble. You know, I find that people rarely ask me for any help at all when there's still hope for improvement. Usually, people wait until things are almost too late. And you've got to reach out when you first realize things aren't right. And even that takes a little time. You didn't get into trouble overnight, and you're not going to get out of it overnight either. It's a little bit like when your car is running a bit rough. You take it to the mechanic rather than waiting until you're broken down on the side of Highway 41. Because that's a much more difficult place to start from if you want to get your car working right again. So marriage is a bit like that. 
It's about admitting our mistakes, accepting the consequences, and avoiding repetition. I think it's pretty cool that Abraham learned his lesson. He, he did not have any more children with Hagar. He chose to wait for God's promise. I, I'm sure there were times of temptation, but he waited. He'd heard the promise first at age 75. He waited, waited. At 85, they blew it, had the child, had Ishmael. But then he waited, and he waited. Finally, Isaac was born to Sarah when Abraham was a hundred years old. That promise of God was 25 years in the making. 25 years to wait, but God came through. I want you to just listen to the rest of the story in Genesis 21. The first few verses, Genesis 21 says this. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. It's amazing. Friend, wherever you're at today, there's nothing that you cannot recover from. Yeah, it might um, have some consequences to it. And it starts by admitting that and getting some help, perhaps, to avoid repeating those same mistakes. But God is faithful and he will help because he loves to do that. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Let's stand together if we would. God in heaven, I'm grateful that you um, preserve this account for us. I'm, I'm actually really thankful that Abraham was not perfect. Uh, he seems pretty ordinary. And Lord, how many times have any of us taken some shortcut in our life that we thought was going to just be a quick fix, but it created more problems in our lives? And we've broken some relationships and we've sometimes broken our finances or even broken our bodies in the process. But God, we just say we, we want to trust you all the way through. We thank you for your promise for all who trust in you will be, will be saved. And we give you praise for that too. Lord, we're, um, we're going to say we want to learn how to admit when we've made a mistake and we want to accept the consequences that we have to face, but, all, face, but also we're going to count on one another's help to avoid making those same errors. I thank you that you care so deeply about us. We just ask God that you would just travel with us on this road this week, that you would make us aware of your presence with us at every moment. I thank you for your kindness to us. We bless you now in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let me just say one more thing. If you're, a, if you're here today, but you don't know Jesus personally, he's not, you've never trusted him for salvation, can I ask you to, to reach out to somebody, maybe somebody you came with, you want to talk to me afterwards and say, I, I want to know what it means to follow Jesus. I'd love to help you with that. Well, friends, God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. And uh, we've got another dysfunctional family to look at next week. So look forward to that. All right, God bless you.